Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the first of April. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents, and I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry. And James Barry, I've got a little bit of hay fever. I might sneeze all the way through the show today. That's okay. <laughs>、um, but of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. You can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. Coming up on today's show, an, a huge bundle. Of news from around the region, no feature story today, but lots and lots and lots of news.、Uh, so why don't we just kick it off, James? Beginning in Indonesia, where unions have rejected changes to social security, unions in Indonesia have rejected the government's newly proposed omnibus health bill on the grounds that it threatens the social security of workers. Indonesian workers contribute four percent of their wage to their own healthcare, which has been managed by an independent legal body, the BJPS, since 1977. The Omnibus Health Bill will bring the management of this fund under the Ministry of Health, which would affect its independence, change the legal regime around its management, and subject it to complex state bureaucracy, potentially affecting the ability of workers to access their social security. The unions are not alone, as the Indonesian Medical Association has also raised concerns that the new law would give too much power to the ministry. Proponents of the new bill say that it will simplify Indonesian health law by combining several separate items of legislation under one law. However, the lack of consultation with the industries affected by the law has reinforced the view that will not that it will not benefit Indonesian workers. And press freedom continues to be under attack across South Asia. Several attacks upon journalists across South Asia in the past two weeks highlight the situation facing a free press in the subcontinent. Three journalists in India were arrested in March, two for publishing reports that were embarrassing to senior BJP members, while a third was charged with terrorism offences after publishing articles critical of the government's policies in Jammu and Kashmir. In Pakistan, the news bureau chief of BOL Bol News was arrested on March the twentieth on terrorism charges after publishing videos of police tear-gassing supporters of former Prime Minister Imran Khan at a rally in Islamabad. In a similar case in the Maldives, a journalist was beaten by police before being arrested for covering an opposition rally in the nation's capital, Mali, on March 16. Finally, on Wednesday, a prominent journalist in Bangladesh was arrested for articles covering the rising cost of living. To Israel, which goes on strike against against the attempt to manipulate the judiciary. This week, the general organisation of workers in Israel, known as the Histadrut, called a general strike against the attempts by the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to overhaul the judiciary. Netanyahu is on trial for corruption and has tried to change how the judiciary operates in order to have his charges dismissed. The move caused protests throughout the country and a revolt amongst government ministers. Histadrut called for a nationwide strike, shutting down the country and its access to the outside world, leading Netanyahu to back down on his attempts to overhaul the judiciary, at least for now. 
APC acknowledges that Histadrut has historically treated Palestinians and foreign workers as second-class members, and that the BDS movement calls for a boycott of the organisation. In recent decades, Histadrut has built a relationship with the Palestinian General Federation of Trade Unions, and 50% of Jews from Palestinian members of Histadrut go to the PGFTU. Histadrut does not recognise the occupation of the West Bank in Gaza and does not allow membership for workers in those territories, which are covered instead by the PGFTU. The reason that was an important um, story to include in the news with all of the acknowledgements of what Histadrut's position is on Palestine and the occupied territories is because it is one of the first times we've seen the trade union movement of Israel step up against the government and it's an important development even though there is still a lot, a lot to do in terms of building solidarity between Palestinian and Israeli um, workers and bearing in mind that a lot of the movement doesn't agree with that position. We're going to move now to Turkey, where automotive workers march across that country. On Monday, workers from the Mara Automotive Factory, which manufactures parts for Tesla, Bentley, Jaguar and Audi, gathered in Istanbul to march to Ankara to protest for occupational health and safety measures um, to protest for occupational health and safety measures to be improved in their factory. Better working conditions and a 25% pay uh, wage rise. The police surrounded the rally and the march had to be abandoned with the workers regathering in Ankara the following day. The workers... Members of the Berlashik Metal Metal Ish Union, affiliated with the Confederation of Progressive Trade Unions of Turkey, that's DISC, stopped production on February 27 after their employees refused to meet their demands. On the first day of the protest, a company locked the toilets to prevent the workers from using them and allegedly threatened the workers who joined the protest with dismissal without compensation. On Thursday, the company dismissed 650 union members over the protest. To Sri Lanka now, where unions have called for a petrol distribution strike. On Monday, the union representing workers at the Ceylon Petroleum Corporation, or CPC, announced that its members had decided to suspend the process of replenishing and dispensing fuel from the Kolonawa oil refinery installation east of the capital, Colombo. The strike action was in response to the government's proposal to privatise the state-owned company. The government responded by mobilising 5,000 soldiers and police on Thursday, who forcefully took over 10 distribution bowsers in order to restart petrol delivery. At the same time, the CPC, at the direction of the government, sent the union's leadership on compulsory leave in an attempt to break the strike. Uh, simultaneously, workers from the Ceylon Electrical Electricity Board Engineers Union, or CEBEU, also went on strike to protest a similar government move to privatise the Electricity Board. Sri Lankans have been suffering for more than a year after after government mismanagement caused the country's economy to collapse in March 2022. A recent IMF bailout deal is seen as another means to save the politicians responsible for the crisis at the expense of the people who are suffering the most because of it. It is eight minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go do some community announcements and then we'll have more news from the region. Have you had your fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital are recruiting participants aged 18 years or older to receive a randomized fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose, either Moderna bivalent or Novavax vaccine, or be part of a control group and receive no additional vaccine. 
You will be compensated for your time and transport and will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter. Would you like to reduce your risk of dementia? The Better Brains trial aims to discover whether targeted lifestyle changes can prevent memory decline in Australian adults. Participants aged 40 to 70 with a family history of dementia are allocated to receive health coaching from an allied health professional or health education materials about dementia and its risk factors. The trial is run entirely online, so visit www.betterbrains.org.au to sign up now. Better Brains is a 3CR supporter. from Day Day Day. You're listening to 3CR, support local radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. It is 10 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're with Giselle and James for Asia Pacific Currents and we are continuing with news from around the region. We're going to go to China now where Chinese shoe factory workers go on strike over layoffs and wages. Reports have surfaced about a strike by shoe factory workers in mid-February in the Chinese city of Hunan. The workers were from the Kaisheng Shoe Factory, which manufactures for foreign companies like Nike and Crocs, and the strike was in protest against recent layoffs of workers and unpaid wages. Police were sent to the factory when the workforce, who are mostly women, refused to start work on February 16. The workers were protesting exploitative contracts which sometimes led them to be paid 25-50% to 50% of what their wages should be. As a union movement in China is tightly controlled by the government, it's difficult to ascertain whether the striking women were granted any concessions following their protest, leading many other unions to call for accountability by Nike and Crocs as a result. To Lebanon now, which is split into two time, zone, causing work, time zones causing workplace chaos. On the 23rd of March, the time zone of Lebanon split along sectarian lines as the annual switch to summer daylight savings time coincided with the beginning of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. At the last minute, Lebanon's notoriously chaotic government decided to delay the start of summertime so that Muslims could end their fast an hour earlier. Most of the country's large Christian minority rejected the move, including the politically powerful Maronite Church, causing a situation where time zones were split across Christian and Muslim communities. These circumstances made life difficult for Lebanese workers as their regular workday routines were disrupted disrupted as school hours and company hours operated on different time zones, especially in religiously mixed cities like Beirut. The decision to delay daylight savings was initially announced without explanation or consultation and was reversed on Monday in a similar fashion. The many Lebanese saw the incident as a deliberate distraction from the country's dire economic situation. And now looking at um, the aftermath of the um, earthquake that affected areas of Turkey and Syria. The ILO this week has released a report about the labour market impact of the earthquakes affecting Turkey and Syria. The report says that thousands of workers have lost their livelihoods and without urgent and dedicated support, poverty, informality and child labour are expected to increase. 
Initial data from Turkey suggests that earthquake left more than 658,000 workers unable to earn a living. The government says that more than 150,000 workplaces are unusable. The ILO estimates that these affected workers face average income losses of more than 230 US dollars per month each for as long as the disruption continues. Overall, the crisis is likely to have reduced take-home labour income by around 150 million US dollars per month in the affected areas. The affected provinces in Turkey are home to more than 4 million workers, most of whom work in agriculture, manufacturing or trade. In Malatya, 58.8% of work hours are estimated to have been lost, while in Adamayaman, the figure is 48.1%, and in Hatay, the figure is more than 45.2%. In Syria, where 12 years of civil war had already taken a huge toll on the economy and labour market, the assessment finds that around 170,000 workers have lost their jobs as a result of the earthquakes. This has directly affected around 154,000 households and more than 725,000 people. Around 35,000 micro, small and medium-sized enterprises have also been affected. The temporary disemployment has led to total labour income losses equivalent to at least 5.7 million US dollars a month. The five Syrian districts or governorates worst affected are Aleppo, Hama, Idlib, Latakia and Tartus. Of course, you'll all um, be familiar with those districts because they're also the ones most affected by the war. So those um, areas, those districts were home to an estimated 42.4% of the country's total population. It included around 7.1 million people of working age, which is 16 or older, of whom 2.7 million were in employment, formal and informal. 22.8% of these were women. The two reports stress that the estimates are preliminary, um, including extrapolations from pre-earthquake data, and the figures are evolving. I will add that DISC, the Progressive Labour Centre of Turkey, um, has started a relief campaign for all of those uh, workers in Turkey that have been um, displaced. In South Korea, the government has backflipped on a 69-hour work week after millennials backlashed. Millennials and Gen Zs protested the plan, fearing a lack of work-life balance would put their health at risk. They called the plan unrealistic. This backlash prompted the presidential office to order the government to re-examine the proposal, proposed bill and better its communication with the public and seek, to seek improvements. South Korean workers had the fourth longest working hours, at 1,915 hours per year on average as of 2021, according to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD. Prime Minister Han Duk So uh, said he supported a revision and that the plan would have led to breaches of employees' rights to stay healthy. As Korea weighs up long, longer working hours, many nations, including Australia, are looking at the benefits of a four-day working week without any loss of pay. Over th- 60 firms in Britain took part in a six-month experiment allowing almost 3,000 employees to work one day less per week while retaining the same salary. Union leaders agreed with Mr Han and said the plan left room open for exploitation. The Korean Confederation of Trade Unions said it will make it legal to work from 9am to midnight for five days in a row, with no regard for workers' health or rest. 
And, of course, that story, um, what's critical about it is the no loss of wage component, uh, and it's going to be very difficult to tabulate that based on um, the increasing inflation and wages not increasing. So uh, I think that is a story to watch because I think workers are going to get screwed one way or the other. 17 minutes past nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with James and Giselle. Going to go to some community announcements and then our last bracket of news items for the morning. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in how 3CR operates. Copies of the codes are available from our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori-kids-shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Have you experienced or seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up. Be heard. Call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. 
You are listening to 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. It's 21 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is James and Giselle. We're going to go to our next story, uh, which is the Myanmar military junta who has abolished 40 political parties. The US, UK, Japan and Australia have all condemned the Myanmar military junta's decision to dissolve 40 political parties, including that of imprisoned former leader Aung San Suu Kyi with suggestions that the regime's push for elections will lead to increased instability. Military-controlled media announced on Tuesday that the National League for Democracy, the NLD, and dozens of other political parties had been dissolved after they refused to comply with a tough new registration law. The military, which seized power in a coup in February 2021, imposed a law and began compiling voter lists in preparation for promised elections. Analysts say any vote held under the regime would be widely considered invalid. The NLD, the country's most popular party, won elections by a landslide in 2020, though the military refused to accept the result. The junta seized power in February 2021, detaining Aung San Suu Kyi and others and alleging electoral fraud, a claim rejected by independent observers. Aung San Suu Kyi has since been sentenced to a total of 33 years in prison. The military has deployed brutal violence to try to suppress determined opposition from the public and much of the country is engulfed in conflict as an armed resistance seeks to overthrow the generals. Military airstrikes are now an almost daily occurrence and more than 1.38 million people have been displaced by fighting since the coup. The registration law imposed by the junta set out various tough requirements for national parties. They include recruiting 100,000 members within 90 days of registration, far more than the previous requirement of 1,000 members. Parties must also open offices in at least half of all 330 townships within 180 days, contest at least half of all constituencies and hold funds of 100 million kyat, which is about 40,000 UK pounds. The NLD said it did not intend to register, calling the election bodies controlled by the military illegitimate. In New Zealand, security guards are set to benefit from groundbreaking fair fair uh, fair pay agreement. Security guards in New Zealand are celebrating a significant victory for fair pay and working conditions. The recently passed Fair Pay Agreements Bill has paved the way for a groundbreaking Fair Pay Agreement, which the FPA, which will enable the sectorial bar- uh, bargaining between workers and employers in the industry. The FPA process will empower security guards to negotiate for better pay and working conditions and ensure they work in safe and dignified conditions. The initiative has received overwhelming support from over 1,000 security guards from across the country. The FPA process is made possible by the Fair Pay Agreements Bill, which was passed in October 2022 and reported on us by uh, us here at, on APC. The bill introduced sectorial bargaining, bargaining to rebalance power between workers and employers, address stagnant wages, rising economic equality and low productivity. In 2000, New Zealand attempted to strengthen unions and improve collective bargaining, but the effort proved unsuccessful without a strong push for sectoral bargaining. 
The Fair Pay Agreements Bill provides an opportunity for workers to negotiate better pay and working conditions through collective bargaining and to prevent employers from competing through low wages. The FPA negotiations process will enable security guards to raise standards of their working conditions, lift their pay, skills and training, and ensure that they have everything they need on site to work safely and with dignity. And in uh, India, um, the Karnataka sanitation workers have shaved their heads in protest and renew their strike against the contract system. A couple of weeks ago, ago, sanitation workers across Karnataka arrived in Bengaluru to continue their struggle against the contract system of employment. They previously held a two-day strike on February 1 and 2 across Karnataka. Desperate to make their demands heard, the protesters shaved their heads in public. And these workers are mostly drivers, loaders, cleaners, data entry operators, and underground drainage pipeline workers. Most of these people are from Dalit communities. The workers claim that neither the contractor nor the corporation provides them with toilet or drinking water facilities. The workers said they were offered a portable toilet for a few days, but that was soon removed. They're distressed because they neither receive casual leave nor earned leave. They have to work on Sundays as well. They're only allowed four hours leave per month. They lose pay if they take another leave beyond that. Their work starts at 6am and can go until 5pm. The protesting workers say their contractor is a Mumbai-based company called Antony Waste Handling Cell. The company is publicly listed and, as per its website, it undertakes projects for various municipalities including Greater Mumbai, Navi Mumbai, Thane, North Delhi, Ulhasnagar, Mangalore and Greater Noida. Of course, this company earned 48% increases in profits in the last financial year. Finally, to uh, Hong Kong, uh, March 28 marks the 10-year anniversary of the Hong Kong dockers' strike. On March 28, 2013, 500 dock workers in Hong Kong Kwai Chung Containers Port, one of Asia's busiest ports, went on a strike for 40 days. It was the largest strike in the city since the 1960s. The workers marched with their heads held high, the first such protest on the side of the port. They demanded a pay rise and sought improved working conditions, including lunch and toilet breaks. They gained unprecedented support in Hong Kong, as well as their colleagues worldwide from Australia and South Korea, as well as the Netherlands and the United States. Yet, like many strike actions, it was an, un- it was an asymmetric fight at the start. The dockers were facing the richest man in Asia, Li Kaixing. Before March 2013, Several dock workers had tried to initiate strikes multiple times. They were bound to fail, however, at a port where information was heavily censored and outspoken dockers risked retaliation or even dismissal. The 40-day strike successfully mobilised people beyond the port and engaged people from different sectors and locations to join forces, from students and activists hosting events to raise awareness of the strike, to citizens boycotting the Li Kaixing-owned businesses, and solidarity solidarity actions from overseas trade unions. Their mode of mobilisation also attracted interest from academics and became a case study for social movement unionism. Fast forward to Hong Kong today. The civil society, including trade unions, is confronting a sweeping wave of repression. Since the imposition of the national security law, dozens of trade unions have been forced to disband, including the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions, or HKCTU, the city's second largest trade union confederation, which played an important role in pushing the doctors to strike. 
Li Chukyan, a former HKCTU leader who led hundreds of workers in 2013 in the march to the port, has been imprisoned for almost two years for participating in peaceful protests. He is also facing, facing another subversion charge under the Hong Kong national security law with a maximum sentence of 10 years in jail. Soon after the dockers' strike in Hong Kong ended, hundreds of dockers in Shenzhen employed by the same corporation initiated another walkout in September 2013. And that does bring us to the end of news from around the region and, of course, an end to Asia-Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. It's 29 minutes past 9 o'clock. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Um, Just looking at the signage around the station, we are being primed for Radiothon, which is coming up in June, so I will prime you for that. Start saving your pennies, but of course, um, lots of things to happen between now and then, and don't forget the Palm Sunday Rally, which is tomorrow for refugee rights. I don't have those details in front of me, but do a Google search because it's a Palm Sunday rally that is held every year. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. But for now, that's all from me, Giselle Hanna. And me, James Barry.